Today's episode is brought to you by the best Final Fantasy, and also the worst Final Fantasy. Which one? Every Final Fantasy. Because when a series goes on long enough, that's sort of the thing. Most games end up with their fans of specific things that the games have done, and the people who hated the things that those specific games did, and so everything becomes both the best and the worst to somebody out there. This is less the case with 2001's Mega Man X6, a game I have seen almost nobody ever defend for this episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is the show where I chronicle my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can, even in the dark ages of the series. Listen, what I said in the intro wasn't exactly an exaggeration. Exactly which X games are good and which X games are bad is going to depend on who you ask. But there is a pretty stable agreement within the community that X6 is absolutely a low point. Whether it's lower than X7 or not, I don't know. That'll be a fun question to ask when we get there. But we're definitely at the nadir of the X series. I mentioned at the end of the previous episode, I had only the haziest distant memories of X6, so other than its reputation, I had no idea what I was in for. Straight up up front, there are some things I did actually like in this game, but it has definitely earned its reputation for very valid reasons. But if I ever hear anybody say that Mega Man and Base is just as bad of a game as Mega Man X6, I'm going to do my best Tidus laugh right to their face. Okay. Let's dig into the game here, and I can explain my thoughts better when I have some specifics. There aren't really any new options or anything to discuss, although I think the auto-charge and rapid-fire from the extreme games worked their way back into the system at this point. I don't think they were in X5 anyway. This leaves us free to jump straight into the opening stage, which is fairly nondescript, but does teach us a couple important gameplay things I'll go over really quickly. First off, our default armor is actually the Falcon armor, like it was in X4 and X5, so we have the ability to air dash right off the bat, which is great. Second off, X did in fact inherit Zero's Beam Saber. Now, if you use the special attack button while you don't actually have a special weapon equipped, you get to use the Zero Saber. It's a powerful tool, but it doesn't quite, like you can't do like multi-slashes with it like you would expect of Zero or anything, but you still have a new cool melee option that actually does make X feel pretty fun to play because of that versatility. And we also learned that one of the most annoying features in X5, the forced conversations with Alia, are actually now optional. You get a little radar alert in the corner of your screen, and if you press a button at that point, you will talk to her. Or you can just not. It's up to you. And the stage may be fairly nondescript, but the opening stage boss of this game is kind of neat. It is a large, chunky mechanoloid that's being remote-controlled by a floating orb thing, and if you can work your way around behind the boss to actually hit at the orb, you can inflict massive damage directly. As far as tutorial bosses go, it's actually pretty good. Not necessarily as a tutorial, but just as a mini-boss, it has a neat concept in that way. We, however, don't deal the final blow. A Phantom of Zero appears, strikes down the mechanoloid, and vanishes. And as X is wondering, hey, what the heck was that? 
a new large robot that kind of resembles King a little bit, named Hi-Max, shows up. Long story short, he beats down X because X literally cannot hurt him for whatever reason. Naturally, Hi-Max mocks X a bit, tells him to stay out of this hunt for Zero that's going on, and flies off. And this, this leads us to our story setup. This game is set very, very shortly after the events of X5, specifically the good ending of X5. Essentially, a Phantom Zero has started appearing around the world. This has coincided with a phenomenon known as the Nightmare, where weird squid virus-like, not quite reploids have appeared. They're capable of infecting reploids and shutting them down and causing them to go maverick. Kind of a floating Sigma virus situation, but not quite. And naturally, because there's like a Phantom Zero running around, everybody assumes that, you know, these things have to be related. So a robot by the name of Isaac is basically rallying Reploids together and has formed a team of investigators to go out and explore the world and figure out, hey, what the heck's going on with the Nightmare and stop Nightmare Zero? X and the Maverick Hunters are naturally not going to stand for this slander of their dead friend, especially just in case somehow this means that their friend isn't actually dead. I'll come back to the plot and stuff in a little while after we cover the stages and everything so I can talk about it all at once. Before we get into any further stages, I want to talk about the, like, new systemic things in X6. There's this whole cluster of things called the Nightmare. The Nightmare themselves are enemies that you will run into in the stages. As you defeat them, they drop specific little orb thing. Collect enough of these orbs by beating the different bosses of the stages and by defeating these enemies and picking up their stuff, and your rank will increase and this will allow you to equip additional parts. Kind of like the X5 and Extreme parts system. And you might be asking, okay, well, how do we get all these parts? And the answer is that we have to go rescue Reploids. Essentially, the idea is that it wasn't just the investigators that went out to these dangerous locations, but a whole lot of Reploids who got rallied into supporting them and are now in way over their heads and are getting attacked by the Nightmare. Every stage has a couple dozen of these little Reploids floating around somewhere. Sometimes, literally, if you touch them, you rescue them, they go home safe, you get some health and weapon energy and an extra life for every single one of them, which is a really weird decision. It feels kind of like a last-minute bandage to try to cover up the fact that this game is really difficult, even though these lives can only be collected once, because once you rescue them, they get checked off on a list and they are gone. They will never reappear. Some of these also give you parts. They may give you basically additional heart containers or weapon energy, or they may give you new equipable parts in a variety of styles. A new classification of part that's kind of neat that you can find in this game. It's effectively a choose-your-own-once-per-stage effect. Like, it might function as an extra energy tank, but it also might be, hey, make me temporarily invincible, or hey, make my attack stronger for a bit. And you just get to choose which of several parts you want to fill that function, which is a really neat addition, and I actually really like that. The problem with the rescue system is twofold. First off, I mentioned that these guys are sometimes literally floating. A lot of the placement of these guys is completely dumb, like suspended just midair or literally over pits and spikes, where you have to dash at the last moment after grabbing them to not just die and immediately waste the life that they gave you, made dumber by the momentary loss of control if they actually happen to be healing you up, because that's how the Mega Man games work. Also, they, like, have to shove in 20 of these into every stage, even though not every stage has the exploration aspects to accommodate that, so that's really dumb. The other problem is that you can permanently lose these. If the nightmare happens to reach one of these, it will infect them and turn them into an enemy. And even if you die and come back, 
they are gone. They will be marked as missing or dead on the list, and that's it. You have to reload your save file in order to go back and save them. And the tricky part is you never know which ones actually have a part that you need or not. Now, I will say, probably like 90% of them are not really in any danger. Well, probably about 60% of them are literally in no danger, and another 30% of them are extremely easy to save from the nightmare. But there are a handful where it's like, this game just spawned a nightmare like two inches from them, and I just hesitated at the wrong moment, and now that's gone, and maybe a power-up's gone with it. And there's enough parts and enough of these Reploids to rescue that I don't think it permanently damages the game, but anybody who's like, no, I want to go get 100% on every run is going to hate this, and I don't think they're wrong on that. But the Nightmare also controls one other aspect of the game, which is referred to as the Nightmare Effects. The idea behind this system, once you defeat a boss, a couple other stages in the game will have some new difficulty effect as the Nightmare intensifies in those locations. Now, the X-Series has actually done this before. X1 has a couple of stages that transform in some way after you defeat a previous boss. For instance, the electricity in the first section of Spark Mandrel's stage stops being a problem after you defeat, I think it's Storm Eagle, because in theory the jet plane crashes into that location. And the theory of this system is cool. In this game, it's used to make things harder. It's used to make things more dangerous. And that is kind of fine on the idea that you are picking up all these extra parts, you're picking up heart tanks and new weaponry and everything, and you are getting better, and the idea of having a scaling element to the stages to keep up with the player is a neat idea. However, these nightmare effects are absolutely garbage. At best, you almost don't notice them. At worst, they rely on randomly placing obstacles, which does not work well in tandem with Mega Man's very specific stage design. And at worst, they're just really irritating and unfun things, like the one that turns the light out in a couple stages, giving you like a swinging spotlight type effect that you have to wait to actually see the platforming challenges ahead of you. <laughs> which really just kills the pacing of a couple really actually fine stages. It is a cool idea for a system, but I don't think anywhere in the game did I think the nightmare effects actually enhanced the stages in an interesting way. It was just kind of slapped on. I don't think it necessarily ruins them, except maybe the darkness stage in Anami Temple, which we'll get to in a moment, but this is a system that if somebody could disable it, and there's probably like a ROM hack or two out there that can do that, if you can disable this system, the game only gets better, despite the fact that in theory it's a system that should make for a better game. Finally, before we get to stage select, one last thing to note is that this game features an alternate path system, where every stage in the game has two different ways to finish it. Some of these paths require you to really go out of your way to find them. Some of these paths are really, really simple, like you might reach the end of the stage, but there will also be a teleporter, and if you jump in the teleporter, you're taken to the alternate section. These usually have a few more Reploids to rescue. They might have specific armor pieces or heart tanks that aren't in the main stage. But most importantly, you will fight a different boss at the end. The first time that you reach the end of an alternate path, you will always fight Nightmare Zero. He fights like Zero in like X5 did or X2. Very fast, very aggressive, much less cheesable than the X5 Zero. He's actually quite difficult, but if you can manage to defeat him, we find out that Zero's actually alive. Apparently, he just shut down to repair himself. So it definitely wasn't the Zero ending of X5 where he decided to just accept the sweet embrace of death. 
and this unlocks Zero as a playable character. And X and Zero have a moment where, and I'm going to quote the English translation on this one, X's line to Zero is, we'll join hands and never let anyone sever us again. Which, yep, I've already made my thoughts about this clear. The second time that you reach the end of an alternate path, assuming you haven't defeated all the inspectors, you will fight Hymax again. This time, Hymax is actually defeatable, but in order to do it, you're actually going to have to alternate regular attacks and special weapons, which is kind of a neat little gimmick. It also means that if you haven't managed to get any offensive special weapons yet, you're completely softlocked. Because that's a thing in this game that can happen, where your continue point is right in front of an obstacle that you cannot pass. There is, for instance, an alternate path in this game. You start down the path, you hit a checkpoint, and then you have to cross a massively long jump. And if you can't do the jump, you can't do the jump. You just have to throw yourself into the pit over and over until you get back to the menu, and it asks you, hey, do you want to continue or go back to stage select? And you better hit stage select, because continue sends you back to the checkpoint, and... <sighs> Deep breath. That was a frustrating thing to run into a couple times in this game. Anyway, if you defeat Hymax, you immediately get access to the final stages, regardless of whether or not you defeated all eight bosses. Finally, once the final area is unlocked and you have zero, if you finish an alternate path, you will actually run into Dynamo from X5, complete with his jam and theme song. And during the fight, if you hit him with specific weapons, you can knock a bunch of extra Nightmare Souls out of him to use him as a farming opportunity to get your rank up. Which is cool and kind of necessary if you want to reach max power in this game, because the amount of Nightmare Souls you need in order to unlock every single part slot is an absolutely absurd number. Alright, we're like post-editing 14 minutes into this. Let's, like, just start talking stages at this point. Our first stage is the Amazon area with Commander Yamark. Generally speaking, X6's stages fall into one of two categories. They are either kind of bland, or they are a cool idea that flops on its face. Yamark is kind of bland. It's not a bad stage. It has, like, moving platform mechanoloids you can ride on. It has a couple distinct enemy types, but most of it is pretty forgettable. It's just an inoffensive Mega Man stage. Not even necessarily a bad one, just kind of whatever. The boss himself, it's interesting that this is where the cursor defaults to, because not only is the stage relatively simple, but the boss is simple and easy too. He's a very cool fight. The idea of him as a commander, he is based on a dragonfly, and he has little dragonfly turrets that fly around, and that he deploys in various formations that fire at you. Dodging and weaving your way through those attacks is really fun. He also just has so little health that you can kind of just keep jumping in his face and slapping him with the sword, and you will out-damage rush him. It is probably a very good thing that, like, this game does have a pretty reasonable stage as its default location. Next up is Inami Temple with Rainy Turtloid, a rundown East Asian-style nondescript temple. The basic idea behind this stage is that you will get sections where there is acid rain going on that will just steadily drain your life bar. In order to disable it, you have to kind of explore around a bit, destroy four different targets, and then go destroy the rain generator. And this level is full of extra health and recharge points and stuff to make it actually pretty alright. If you have no nightmare effects on, this is actually a pretty good stage. Keyword, if... 
because in the middle of this exploratory stage where you're also getting an overlay of rain that makes it a little bit harder to see, you can also get a nightmare effect that just massively obfuscates the screen at most of the time, and it turns this level into just a really bad time. Rainy Turtaloid, meanwhile, at the end of it, is this gigantic Raploid that is actually fairly fun to fight. His attacks are simple, but the idea is, is that he's invincible until you shatter the stones on his back. And then that gives you a while where you can deal heavy damage to him, but he will eventually reform them. So it has kind of elements of like a wily boss. Like fighting him is a little bit more involved of a process than just shoot him, which is pretty rare for bosses. Our third stage is the North Pole area with Blizzard Wolfang. Hey, want to deal with ice physics and like ducking into little holes while really, really poorly animated amateur-looking avalanches roll by you? Boy, do I have a stage for you! It isn't actually all that bad, it's just kind of slow in the first half and also a good demonstration of how the nightmare effects were kind of just splashed on without thought for stage design, because one of the nightmare effects you can get in this stage basically sends homing projectiles at you while you're ducked into little tiny areas that you can't really do anything to defend yourself in. But there is, like, a fair amount of variety to the stage itself. It's fine. In fact, if you play these three stages first, you're probably going to be thinking, like, I don't, I don't see what the big issue is with X6. It's not that bad. And it's not so far. Wolfang himself is even a fairly easy boss. He's not nearly as fast as an ice werewolf would probably be expected to be, and most of his attacks are actually fairly simple to dodge. Then we hit level 4, and this is kind of the other type of X6 stage, which is kind of some neat ideas for a stage utterly thwarted and falling on its face. The Laser Institute, guarded by Shield Sheldon, is a stage that involves invisible platforms, occasional false walls, although there is a tip-off from Alia if you actually bother to read it, and those good old RPG-style, like, tilt the mirrors to reflect the laser beam onto the door in order to open it up style puzzles. It's not exactly fun to complete, is the main thing. Especially if you decide to go onto the alternate path, which is opened up at the end and then involves... 10 mirror long reflection beam nonsense. Not the worst, the stage is over pretty quick on the main path, but definitely feels awkward. Like, there's not a whole lot of room to maneuver, the use of invisible stuff just feels really amateur. Like, there's stuff like, oh, there's enemies walking around on it, so yeah, there's probably something there, but it just... Something about it just feels completely incorrect going through the stage. Like it's a first draft of a stage. We'll hand it to the boss, though. Shield Sheldon is really cool. He's based on a clam, and the idea is, is that the two halves of the shell are two different shields that he, like, throws around in different ways, and he has a pretty wide variety of attacks. Less of his time is spent invincible, and most of it is about finding opportunities to get by as he throws out his shields, or, like, attacking him while he's, like, dashing from shield to shield. Shield Sheldon is a fun fight, and I also love the fact that his weakness weapon is the weapon that pierces through enemies. He kind of redeems the stage for me. And that was the good four stages of X6. Now let's talk about the bad four stages of X6, starting with the Weapon Center featuring Infinity Maginian. The Weapon Center is a concept for a stage. Essentially, you have a 
giant weaponized robot floating around in the background attacking you, and you are dashing through the stage, reaching mini-boss fights that are, like, the wires transferring power off to this robot and destroying them. And that's a cool idea. The problem is, is that the stage is a strictly linear stage that is just full of spammed enemies and basic pits, and that is it. It is an incredibly boring level. Literally, this level is enemies, pit, enemies, pit, burn down a mini-boss health part. Repeat. That's it. That's the level. It's so basic that its alternate path is a teleporter that literally shows up after you burn down the last mini-boss bar. Then it's just some wires over some pits as you head to the boss room. The only place they could really think to hide the stage's heart tank and armor part were to the left after you use that teleporter, instead of to the right. That's how flat and bland this stage actually is. The boss fight is a bit of a mess, too. The idea is that Minjinian is this little dude who, like, throws out really slow-moving projectiles most of the time, or occasionally, like, a spread of fast ones. And those slow-moving projectiles can be destroyed and stuff, but the idea is that whenever you hit him with a strong enough attack, he goes flying off and leaves behind a copy of himself. You can destroy that copy with a couple attacks, and if you don't, it will also be attacking you with those slow-moving projectiles, and you will steadily get overwhelmed if you try to just beat down the main body. A neat idea, but it's kind of thwarted by the high health of the clones and the, like, quick appearance of the attacks from the clones, so regardless of what you do, the fight kind of turns into a bit of a damage race. Next up, we'll talk about the Recycle Lab with Metal Shark Player, which is an unusual name, especially for a dude whose gimmick is swinging around anchors and swimming in junk. The idea of this entire sage is that it's one of those, like, the ceiling is rising up and down and you have to jump into gaps to avoid getting flattened. There's even a mini-boss that is a rising and falling ceiling that you have to deal with. Dealing with this for the duration of an entire stage drags the pace of the game kind of down to a halt, especially because this is extremely unforgiving. If there's spots where you have to duck in order to not be crushed, if you happen to stand up for even a split second, you will immediately die instead of the character remaining crouched down. Like, this game just doesn't care about that. <laughs> and this is probably just one of the hardest executional levels in the game. Like, it wasn't too bad for me, but keep in mind, I have played every Mega Man game up to this point. I'm a little bit used to it at this point. My sense of a game's difficulty is definitely not normal here. I see where the complaints come from. Metal Shark Player, I don't have that many notes on how the actual fight with him goes, except that it was fairly easy, and maybe it was just because I did this stage fairly late, so I was well-powered. He has, like, a variety of different attacks that largely involve moving around and throwing out projectiles and stuff, but he never felt all that threatening. That brings us to the two really just garbage stages, though, because, you know, a stage full of instant death the entire time and a stage with baby's first level design were not the worst stages in the game somehow. First, the Central Museum, featuring Ground Scaravage. The idea is that this is an empty stage where you're getting occasionally teleported into, like, cyberspace. These cyberspace stages have pre-assigned shells, like basic wall placement, but then they will get shuffled up and they will get randomized and additional obstacles and enemies will just be thrown in at random locations. And uh, the thing is, is Mega Man is a game with very, very deliberate design. It is possible to do randomness with Mega Man gameplay. There is a small indie series that started with a game just called 20XX after the year most Mega Man games are set that is essentially Mega Man X, but we have procedurally generated the levels. And it's really fun because this isn't truly random, it's extremely curated randomness. 
This is genuinely random. It will just look at an empty spot and go, oh, should we put a thing here? Sure, why not? It has just enough safeguards to prevent a stage from being actually impossible, I think, but that's it. These random level segments feel spammy and unfun as all hell. And you're going to have to play this stage multiple times if you want 100%, because a lot of the upgrades in the stage are hidden in, like, one of those two possible options for randomness, so, um, have fun. Fortunately, after going through that hell, the boss is a joke. He's just a scarab, a little rolling dung beetle. All you have to do most of the time is jump over him and attack him from behind. The main gimmick of this fight is that if you do accidentally destroy the boulder, he'll come back with a bigger one, and you'll have to work a little bit harder to avoid it. Honestly, the easiest boss I think I've ever seen in the X-Series. But the worst stage is the magma area with Blaze Heatnecks. There's two parts to this stage. One of them is a dodge the flame section. You know, something that's been around in the series since Fireman in the first game. It's fine. It's not even instant death. It's not that bad. The remainder of the stage is fighting the Nightmare Snake, a large mini-boss that just floats around the stage with four weak points on each corner of it that you need to destroy that occasionally fires bullets. A very simple format, but put into some of the worst designed arenas around what the boss actually is. Like, the first time that you do it, it's just moving left and right, and you have to duck into little holes in the floor in order to avoid it. Well, it's perfectly timed so that the shots that it fires will go straight down into those holes from the weak points, so you literally can't dodge it, and you have to just beat it fast enough. There's another one where you're trying to outrun a bunch of rising magma, and it's popping in and out of the magma at you, and it's always on the left or right wall, completely at random, and whether that even works with, like, the platforms that you are jumping up to be able to strike at most of the weak points, who knows? There's no accounting for it in the design. <laughs> this, this stage, it can be trivialized. If you come in here knowing your weapons really well and you have specific tools from other stages, some of the weapons you have are capable of utterly demolishing this thing in one or two uses. If you don't make use of those weapons... This stage absolutely goddamn sucks. It is possibly the worst stage I have seen in the series to date. It's just the same stupid mini-boss over and over again, and only, like, one time that you fight it does it have an arena that's actually conducive to making it fun and interesting. The rest of it is, I hope you brought this weapon from another stage, otherwise this is just gonna suck. Which, yes, getting weapons from defeating bosses and using them to make stages easier is part of the point in the joy of Mega Man. But the fact that the bad case here is not just unfun and unfair, but just blatantly so. And, like, it's not like requiring weapons is a new thing, but usually that's shaved off for, like, the games that would require you to have those weapons to access these stages. This game has a poor understanding, like what I mentioned earlier with being able to get locked into a spot where you just have to game over. This game has a poor understanding of the idea of getting weapons to make things easier, as opposed to getting weapons and upgrades to make things reasonable or even possible in many circumstances. Alright, I guess there's a boss fight. Blaze Heatnicks covers either the top or bottom half of the arena in Magma, and then attacks you in a variety of ways that take advantage of that. The Magma does high damage, but it at least isn't an instant kill, which is nice, and it is actually kind of a fun fight. Like, I will give it that, it is a creative and interesting fight with a lot of different attacks. Okay, okay. I'm done ranting about the decreasing quality of stages in X6, though terrifyingly. It's only going to get worse. Let's actually talk about something that's good in this game, which is the arsenal. 
Yeah, that's right. I said it. X6 does actually have one strength that I don't think people talk about a whole lot, which is the arsenal that the characters get. Now, I'm going to talk about Zero first, because his is the less interesting arsenal. Zero, at baseline, does get a new toy to play with, which is the fact that he finally gets to actually use his Zero Buster, the thing that he's technically had since the first game. Much like how X gets the ability to use his saber using the special weapon button, Zero can fire off a buster shot. It's kind of like a charged buster in terms of power, but it is a very slow rate of fire and can only be used on the ground, so it doesn't trivialize it and it still makes him a melee-focused character. It's just an extra tool he has, which is actually really nice. Most of his tools are otherwise fairly familiar, or like variants of familiar stuff. Like, instead of getting a directly downward stab attack in this game, Zero gets a diagonal diving attack. Also, he still gets the downward stab. I don't know why I use that as the example. There are a couple of X's weapons that he gets access to, which is a neat little touch. And much like in X5, there is a couple of weapons that X gets that Zero also gets that I'll mention when we get there. The biggest thing about Zero's arsenal in this game, though, that keeps him feeling good is uh, some unintended interactions. This game is not without its glitches, which is something I haven't really had to discuss much in the previous X games. In X6, however, Zero has a couple very big ones. The first is that one of the weapons we'll talk about, the guard shell, works a little bit weird for Zero. Once he turns it on, while his saber is passing through the guard shell, it just hits on every single frame. Some enemies still have proper invincibility frames that get around this, but also there are times where you can use this to instantly trash a mid-boss's entire health bar. Heck, there's a couple bosses like Metal Shark Player. You catch him in your guard shell and you hit it with zero, he just explodes. Definitely an unintended but fun interaction to use when you can find it. Because if this game is going to be insistent on instant killing you a lot, you're going to fight back. But speaking of instant kills, what if I told you Zero can go full on invincible? One of his attacks is a little spinning slash around himself that he does on the ground. This, interestingly, has just momentary invincibility on it. However, if the ground vanishes from under Zero and he starts falling, for instance, if you do it on a platform that can be destroyed and you destroy it with that attack, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't turn off the invincibility at the end of the attack because the attack gets cancelled partway through. Which means that until you either do that attack again or lose control of Zero for like a cutscene or a door transition or something, you are completely invincible. The only thing that can kill you is being crushed. You can even activate this actually during the final boss fight, which is amazing. And yes, I did take full advantage of this on my second playthrough of Zero. As for X, we have some new toys to play with. I'm going to mention the two new armor sets really quick. The blade armor is actually useful. It increases X's ability to fight with the Zero Saber, and it also increases his aerial mobility by giving him dashes in all directions. It's just a really good feeling set of armor. This game does do the X5 thing, though, where you have to collect all four parts of the armor before you actually get to use the armor, so that's a bit unfortunate. The other armor he can get is called the Shadow Armor, and this is garbage. The shadow armor takes away all your special weapons. The only thing that it gets that's special is that you get a massive high jump that can stick you to a ceiling and then you can dash on it, which is a cool feature, but you literally lose all other forms of aerial mobility. You don't get an air dash, which can make certain platforming sections in this game literally impossible. Yeah, I don't think they thought that one through. But the arsenal section is really here to talk about X's eight weapons. There's only like two weapons in this game that are actually bad. The first is the ground dash. 
which, despite its name, has nothing to do with dashing on the ground. It just throws out a really slow-to-appear, slow-to-move, mid-damage boulder that kind of lobs forward and that's it. The charged version is even just a bigger, fatter boulder. It's useless. You use it as a boss weakness weapon and that's it. There's also the Meteor Rain. Technically shouldn't really be that useless of a weapon. Its ultimate is kind of really bad. It just causes diagonal shots focused on your location for a few seconds, but these projectiles are infrequent, slow, and way too narrow to do much good with. But the base weapon itself fires a projectile that just blips up and then falls back down. I mean, weapons that hit above yourself are always going to be at least somewhat useful in X, so saying that this is like the second worst weapon in X6 is actually still saying something. Because this game does have a handful of vertical sections where you do want to be able to hit enemies above you. The other six weapons, though, all excellent. The Ray Arrow is next. It is a forward shot that if you jump or fall while it is active will remain consistent with your position and it travels up a wall when it hits the wall. So it's kind of the similar effect as Meteor Rain in many ways for dealing with wall enemies above you. The real power of it is if you charge it up, which the charge in this game is fast enough for special weapons that it's actually reasonable to use them. You don't even have to use the ultimate shot part like in X5. It's just you go invincible and get like a massive column attack around yourself that is really strong and really effective. Because of its charge attack and how easy that is to access, the Ray Arrow is actually a really good weapon. Next up is the Ice Burst. It's useless as a weapon. It's just a little lobbed shot that does, like, no damage. The charged version temporarily makes it so that when you dash, you fire off projectiles perpendicular to your dash, but that's not actually all that useful. The value of this is basically in being a poor man's ice wall. If the basic shot is allowed to land on the ground successfully, it will create a platform, and you can use that to help overcome some of the platforming challenges in this game. Utility weapons are always welcome, even if this one's kind of awkward to use and not that impressive. Next up, we have the Magma Blade. This is basically, hey, do you really want a strong Z-Saber? You have more than enough uses to never really worry about running out of ammunition, and not only do you get a stronger Z-Saber, but you also get projectile fireball attacks out of using it. It is a great all-around offensive weapon. Charge it up, and you get supported by Firebirds from the back of the screen for a few seconds. It's just overall a really good weapon. It's probably technically better than the Guard Shell. But the guard shell goes up here because of its bug with zero specifically. What it does the rest of the time is it puts up like a force field in front of you, and then that force field just sticks around, and any time that certain enemy projectiles hit it, it absorbs them and fires back a shot. It's a very limited shield effect, but the fact that it only consumes ammo when it actually reflects something, and that it is basically set and forget, does occasionally still make it useful even without the glitch. The ultimate's also kind of neat in that it deploys the shells to the corner of the screen, and then whenever you press the button again, it causes them to fire shots inwards, which can be useful in a couple situations. Again, it's the bug interaction with Zero that puts it this high. My choice for second best weapon is the Metal Anchor. This is a bouncing, rebounding, spring shot type attack. Biggest thing about it is that it actually pierces through enemies, making for a solid weapon for dealing with the enemy spam. But the charged version is even better. Random screen-clearing projectiles 
which are shaped like Storm Eagle for some reason, barreling down the screen. You can get quite a few uses out of this. Unlike other screen clear weapons, you do have to think a little bit. If you get hit during the animation, it will instantly stop it. But yeah, no, it's just an all-around really useful, strong weapon. This is the weapon that makes that stupid Nightmare Snake mid-boss into a joke, by the way. This is the one you want. My take for favorite weapon in the game, though, goes to the Yammer option. Using this weapon generates a circle of dragonflies around yourself that will be destroyed if they run into enemies. Simple, straightforward shield weapon on the surface. But also, you can press the button again in order to have them just fire out projectiles for you from their location. And this does not consume ammo. This is a shield with an active weapon component to it. This is doubled down with unique functionality for both Zero and X. For Zero, the Yammer option also attacks while he does. If he uses his saber or his shots, the Yammer options will also fire to assist, which is really cool for stages. And for X... You can charge them up. What it does is it causes your little dragonfly options to go into hyper mode. They start spewing shots in random directions, circling around you quickly, and they're also completely invincible, meaning that they shred through anything that gets too close to you, kind of like the junk shield. This is, honestly, one of my favorite weapons in the entire franchise. I was genuinely surprised at just how fun this thing is to use. If there is one thing that I will genuinely commend X64 and that I think does not quite get the attention it deserves, it is the weapon selection. They're good. And if you're sitting there, mad that I'm daring to praise X6, don't worry, we're about to talk about the story in the finale of the game. Okay, so the story of this game is kind of tricky to piece together because there's actually a lot of missable and variant scenes. Whether you finish certain stages with X or Zero will change what kind of scene they have. You get different dialogue with characters. There's missable scenes like if you defeat all eight investigators to get access to the final area, or if you defeat Hymax in order to do it, gives you different versions of the scenes. And this is further compounded by the translation quality being Kind of awful, to be honest. Nonetheless, here's what I put together of the story. Which is probably at least partially incorrect, but blame the game for that. Prior to the events of this game, Alia had a comrade named Gate. And Gate was a brilliant researcher who worked with the Maverick Hunters, but who saw a whole lot of reploids that got labeled as Mavericks for one reason or another without necessarily turning Mavericks. Sometimes they were just researching something really dangerous, like raising the dead apparently, or sometimes they just failed in their duties and were labeled as needing to be destroyed for that. In the aftermath of X-5, a disillusioned gate had left the Maverick Hunters and was exploring the ruins of the fallen satellite, and found what he later figured out was a piece of Zero's DNA soul. Except, if you remember right, Zero was also kind of the origin point of the Sigma virus, like that was part of him. This sort of made Gate go a little bit insane. And it's also quite probable that the Nightmare is his attempt to essentially resurrect Zero from that DNA soul and getting something that wasn't quite Zero and wasn't quite the Sigma virus either. But long story short, 
Gate had seen all these tragedies occur, revived them to be the investigators, and had basically given up on humanity because, you know, the thing that labels a reploid as a maverick is they're now dangerous to humans. And after the whole satellite disaster and everything, and he's like, hey, if they want reploids to fix the surface while they hide underground, we'll just take over the surface, lol. Isaac, the reploid who had been rallying the investigators and rallying people to fight against Zero and against the maverick hunters, had been working with Gate the entire time. There's actually kind of some interesting story and lore going on in X6, and trying to pick up the pieces after Extreme's weird introduction of Souls and the entire hot mess that was X5's story, I actually kind of like what X6 is trying to do. The tale of a disillusioned reploid accidentally messing with things he doesn't fully understand. It's a neat idea. It's fairly good, if I'm on the right track. Again, this is what I had to piece together, and I may be giving this game way too much credit. One way or another, though, we are going to trace these events back to Gate, and we're going to go fight him at his lab, and this is where, even if X6 was bearable to you up to this point, Gate's lab is the most garbage endgame in the series. X6 often gets compared to Mega Man and Base on the fact that both games are very difficult. However, I will argue that Mega Man and Base's difficulty is very rarely actually cheap. It's just, you have to really engage with the game and master it. Mega Man and Base's endgame was difficult because it was a gauntlet. Gates Lab... <sighs> oh, buddy. Um, describing the difficulty of Gates Lab is best put as, Oh, did you enter this stage as Shadow Armor X? You're gonna find out you literally can't finish it. Even the first room of the first stage has a wall of spikes you need to overcome that there's a couple different ways to overcome it, like being here as zero, or equipping the shadow armor for this stage specifically, but come in with the wrong set and the jump to get over it is not technically impossible, but exceedingly damn close. I was sure never able to do it. And that's just the experience of the gate stages, is super punishing platforming, traps where you can end up realizing that you just can't continue, and enemy spam. Enemy spam out the absolute butt. It is utterly insane just how cluttered these stages are, without purpose, not in any interesting way. It's just a ton of enemies, a ton of damage, a ton of instant kill hazards. These stages are everything that I've complained about throughout the X-Series' endgame, all in one, and then some. It's horrible, and it doesn't get better with its bosses. The first boss is Nightmare Mother might actually beat the stupid tank from Extreme 2 as my least favorite boss in the franchise now. It's two giant square virus zones that are extremely difficult to dodge as they rotate around the screen. When I say they're huge, I mean Zero's double jump barely clears them. Heaven help you if you're X in this situation, especially Shadow Armor X, you're double screwed because you have no air mobility. Even though that's how X gets through this stage for most people, they're invincible for most of the time except to deploy their eyeballs which proceed to do various random attacks which can do stuff like lighting up the floor for 15 seconds with fire so so you can't even really get many attacks in on them. It's, oh. Anybody who's been through X6 anytime even remotely recently will remember 
Nightmare Mother, and it is awful. And it doesn't necessarily get much better. High Max in the second stage of the lab, okay, he's actually kind of better. He's still very difficult, and he's still reliant on the gimmick, having to alternate between special and normal weapons in order to hurt him. Or this time, you can break the shield that he generates. Do this enough times, and he just discards that shield, and instead just floats in the center of the arena and repeatedly throws giant orbs at you. This phase is dangerous. If you accidentally hit the orbs, they will turn into several smaller orbs that will home in on you and will deal a ton of damage, but between a fairly straightforward attack pattern that is still challenging and having these different ways to tackle him, Kymax is actually fine. And then we get to Gate. The gate fight is a neat idea. You're fighting on a bunch of fairly randomly positioned platforms over a pit, and he'll either fly directly at you, use a sword attack that will like destroy a platform in front of him temporarily, or he'll throw out various orbs, and these orbs will deal different effects. They might throw projectiles at you, they might affect gravity, etc., but if you destroy these orbs, they fire off a spread of projectiles, and you need to actually hit gate with those projectiles. This is kind of a neat concept for a fight, but it does not result in an interesting fight. Um, if Gate decides, it can be like 20 seconds before you even get an opportunity to potentially damage him. The platforms are all at like really awkward heights. The orbs, if you don't destroy them really quickly, like a lot of the times you just have to take the damage and destroy them first. It's It would be clever in other games, but in Mega Man it doesn't mix, I think. Having your arsenal and your tools not really matter that much just doesn't feel like a good fit for Mega Man. Anyway, now that we've defeated Kate, as he's dying, he reveals that he has one last trick up his sleeve. You know, he got all his power from Zero's DNA, aka potentially some weird version of the Sigma virus, so naturally his instinct was, ha, what if I revive Sigma? But he wasn't really able to revive- he got, like, a partially completed revival of Sigma, who proceeds to finish off Gate, and then we head to our final stage, which is a boss gauntlet, and then we get our showdown with Sigma, or rather the partially reincarnated corpse of Sigma. Yeah, that music you were just listening to is the theme for the first phase of Sigma, and also the entire final stage, really, as a weird choice. So this fight starts in the funniest way possible, which is that literally his corpse just teleports in, and then just thuds onto the ground as it drops out of the sky. And then he picks himself up, and you get a fight that is, um, Zombie Sigma, or as he's often jokingly referred to by Mega Man fans, Hobo Sigma, is the easiest Sigma fight. There are times where he's just lurching himself slowly across the battlefield and isn't even a threat to you. You could literally defeat him before he even attacks, if you're lucky. But I think there is some really cool thematic stuff in the way he lurches himself across the ground, in the way that sometimes you knock him back and projectiles just splatter everywhere like blood spray. Like, he has this uncanny, creepy feeling that actually kind of works for me. They managed to capture this idea 
of this failed resurrection of Sigma, and I like it. But then naturally, when we kill him, we get the actual full-body final boss Sigma fight where the music kicks in, we'll come back to it. And he is this giant, wired-into-the-lab, contra-boss-looking monstrosity that basically alternates between an attack where he sends out slime versions of his own head in various formations to attack you, or he just fires giant laser beams that happen to destroy those slimes in the process. It's, it's a little bit cramped for how much it can throw at you sometimes, but I don't know. In terms of Final Sigma boss fights, it's actually not that bad. It is not always the most challenging, but it also feels like it lacks the complete nonsense of certain other fights, and I don't know, I'm fine with it. After that, we get our endings. Um, on X's side, nothing all that interesting actually happens. X brings back Gate Body out of respect for Alia's history with him, asking her to make the decision about what to do with it. Everybody kind of reaffirms, like, hey, we're going to rebuild the world, yeah, that's that. Zero's ending, if you finish the game as him, is a little bit different. He seems to realize that, like, whatever's in him and in his soul is a problem and is going to keep causing Sigma to come back. So he submits himself to a medical procedure from an unknown doctor who tells him, like, hey, this is going to take, like, a hundred years if this goes well, but if you're lucky, like, we may be able to actually cleanse this by the time you're done. And so Zero enters cold sleep in an ending that I feel like leads pretty directly into the Zero series, or was at least a setup for how we get there. And that's it. Roll credits. So, before we get to the summary of the game, I will note that after you beat the game, the game does tell you outright about a couple different codes you can input on the start screen. By entering one of these codes, you can either unlock the ultimate armor for X or Black Zero for Zero. Black Zero in this game is straight up a power upgrade for Zero, whereas the ultimate armor for X is the classic you have an invincible super dash, you have hover boots, you have a super powerful buster. I do like the fact that these codes are actually part of the game, but that would require you to replay X6. And to be fair, I did actually replay X6. I did it once through his X, and I did it once through his Zero. But let me tell you, to get into what I thought overall of this game, after playing through it as X, I did not want to do the second playthrough of Zero. Now, the second playthrough ended up being fine. I turned on Black Zero, I took advantage of the invincibility glitches, I knew the level layouts and stuff, and it actually wasn't the worst thing anymore. But it was still pretty bad when it's bad. Does X6 have some good points? Yes. The weapon arsenal is good. More of the bosses are really good than are really bad, although the stinker bosses are really bad. The levels are at least trying to have largely distinctive elements. They're all pretty memorable for one reason or another. Most of those reasons are unfortunately really bad. I think I like the story, but that might be because I've just been looking too hard into trying to make sense of a story that doesn't make sense. I don't know. But there's just so much wrong with this game. This game has such terrible enemy placement. The nightmare effect system on the stages is a neat idea, but almost never actually enhances the stages. Instead, it just constantly makes stages in this game worse. Not even harder. 
just worse. There are so many levels in here that just feel unfinished or like they barely had an idea and scrapped together the bare minimum to carry it. For how many things I've said that I do like about X6, there is so much of this game that is pulling teeth. And like, I liked X5 in spite of the fact that it had some problems. And I still stand by liking X5 quite a bit, despite its low points. But I feel like X6's high points are still good, but they're usually not high enough to counteract the fact that most of this game is a low point. At the end of the day, this game feels more like it's accidentally constructed than deliberately constructed. Best demonstrated by the checkpoints right before sections where you can literally just be stuck unable to progress. A problem we haven't had since like the days of Mega Man 2 and running out of weapon energy in the fortress for certain bosses, and that was because of weapons that you would have had that you just ran out of, and not things that you literally just don't have. This game's design sometimes literally just forgot to say, what if our player doesn't have these things? What are they going to experience? And that is a huge, huge change from the entire rest of the series up to this point, and it just feels bad to play. X6 is a game that is famously difficult, and after playing it I can say, it's difficult for all the wrong, unfun sort of reasons. You can have some fun with X6, but should you? Probably not. Even the music of this game is somewhat controversial. I'm not going to say it's bad, because I don't think it is. The music of this game is actually pretty nice. It's just also not using the standard X instrumentation or energy a lot of the time. It feels like it's leaning not full-on ambient, but a lot more subdued than I'm more used to. There's some tracks in here that I think would fit much better in other games, like the first track that I'm going to highlight, which is Commander Yanmark's Stage. It kind of feels like Symphony of the Night music. And again, Symphony of the Night, amazing soundtrack, and those who are familiar with it are probably going to recognize some of the instruments used in this. This is a smooth jam, it just doesn't really feel all that much like an X stage. The second track I want to highlight is Metal Shark Player's Stage. This is the stage that's set at a junkyard. It has a constant metallic press going on about it, and I actually really like this track because it works that feeling and that environment into the track. There's got to be a word for it, but music that like puts you into that. It fits this rhythmic, mechanical thud, thud. Thud. Yeah, it's a slower-paced song, but it's a slower-paced stage, and whether that's good or bad, it fits.
finally, I said we'd get back to it, and there is one track in this game that is really classically Mega Man X, and that is Sigma Phase 2, because it is literally a rearrangement of pieces of Sigma's battle themes from X1 and X2. This song absolutely slaps. And that will do it for my coverage of X6. Where do we go after this? Well, I'm in a little bit of an awkward spot. I really want to get to Mega Man Battle Network 2. However, the Battle Network Legacy Collection is due out in April, and I do want to play the game on that collection. So that'll be a little bit, and there'll probably be a Battle Network 2 episode and then a Battle Network 3 episode right after or something like that. I was thinking of doing Mega Man Zero first, but then I realized that the approximate next timing for my episode after this one would be April 1st-ish. So I'm going to pick some really weird Mega Man spin-off fan game type thing and do something unofficial. I don't know what yet, but we'll have some fun with it. Now that we know where we're headed, if you like what you've been listening to, feel free to leave comments on Twitter at what am I podcast for with the number four, email what am I podcasting for at gmail.com. Stop by waipf.podbean.com if you need an RSS feed or you want direct downloads or just find this on your podcast provider of choice if somehow you've run into this episode in the wild. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and just remember, I didn't even get into it in the episode. Isaac, the robot who sends out the investigators at the beginning, he did die at the end, but given the whole thing with Gate constantly resurrecting the dead and the fact that Isaac commends Zero on defeating Hymax when X couldn't, and that Isaac shares a voice actor with Dr. Wily, um, maybe I wasn't looking too hard into X6's plot. Maybe I wasn't looking hard enough. Fortunately, after that hell, the joke, the joke is a boss. Yep, that's what I meant to say.